As you heard earlier on in the show, we were talking about youth and mental health and uh, how your child is moving through the world and how we need to keep an eye on things. And I I stumbled upon an interesting letter to an editor at uh, Parent24 asking the question, to what extent should a child be allowed to participate in custody decisions? The other question was, do children need both parents? And I thought, how interesting are these two topics? And I thought we'd speak to Kerry von Ludwig from Kerry von Ludwig Attorneys about this idea of your children having a say in custody decisions. Good morning, Kerry. Thank you very much for joining us. Hi, good morning. Nice to be with you. So I guess that question about if your children should have a say in custody decisions, I want to say yes, but does it maybe not depend on the age of those children? You've hit the nail right on the head. The Children's Act, which was promulgated in 2005 and came into operation in mid-2007, specifically does say that children must have a say, but the wording is is very express. It Mm. says that consideration must be given to the views and wishes expressed by the child, bearing in mind the child's age, maturity, and stage of development. So often people will ask me, at what age can my child say what he or she wants? Mm. And the answer is there is no set age. It depends. Are you a mature nine-year-old? Are you a silly, irresponsible 16-year-old? What is your stage of development? And I was actually just having a conversation around uh, psychology and mental health with uh, Kim Laxton, and we were talking about the fact that oftentimes children just can't voice what it is that they're feeling. So maybe they do have thoughts and feelings and emotions about it, but they're just not able to communicate that in a way that we need them to. That's why it is so important to have that conversation with mental health practitioners mm. and not with legal practitioners because we are not trained to interpret the views of the child. And something parents do, whether it's deliberate or it's unwitting, is they will ask the children and they'll say, the law says you are allowed to say. But imagine you're torn between mum and dad, mm. we're both asking you what you want, and we have the risk of children becoming what they apparently call parentified children where the children are taking on the responsibility and trying to keep both parents happy and do the right thing. There are mental health practitioners, as I'm sure Kim has told you, who understand how to interpret the views and wishes of the child that the child may not even him or herself understand Mm. by means of the tests they do, the draw a person tests, the games they play, to try and find out what the child's underlying desires are and not what the child actually says and to also understand what is the child's stage of development and level of maturity. You know, because the other thing we must remember, and I wanted to say this to you later on, but I think it comes Mm. up now, is that children should not be given the idea that they are the people who are deciding. Uh, Their views and wishes are part of the melting pot. So what I like to say to my clients is, there are both parents, there are the children, and then there are also possibly the legal practitioners, the mental health practitioners, there may be other role players like school advisors. And if one can explain to the children that this is all going into the melting pot, mm. so certainly your what you want has weight. But number one, no one is giving you the heavy burden of you having to say. And number two, No one is allowing you the luxury and privilege of deciding that you know better than the grown-ups.
We're speaking to Kerry von Lukvig, who's a family law attorney, and we're specifically talking about custody and children. And I mean, Kerry, you and I both know that oftentimes the children get used as sort of a pawn in a messy divorce. One of the other things that I have a concern about is oftentimes divorce drag on for so long. And then in the process, where are the rights of those children when a divorce is ongoing for so long? Again, the Children's Act has tried its best to to help the children in the sense that it is possible for a child to have an attorney appointed to him or her. Mm. It's also possible for the child to have a curator appointed to him or her. That's also a constitutional right. It's not only enshrined in the Children's Act. The reality of things, however, is how many children does that happen to? Who pays for it? At what point does the child... You know, you would get a parent who might even leverage that far and say, well, fine, I'm going to get you to a lawyer and then you can tell the lawyer that what you and I say is right. At the real crux of the whole thing is when parents are able to, it's it's not a word, but I'm going to use it anyway, delegalize and think more child-centrically and more humanistically, Mm. then they are more likely to to stay away from all the things that are going to damage and traumatize their child. When they want to be legalistic and apportion the rights that they think they have, then the child is going to get damaged. When a family is able to sit down and say, listen, we can no longer live under the same roof together. We have to split. It's, it's never as easy when you've got all these dynamics of moving furniture and moving pets mm-hmm. and getting different homes and changing schools. But let's try and think of how we as people can actually survive this best. That is the kind of family who will come through it with far less scarring than a family who goes, we want to do this the legal route. Because it's not about, yes, it's about law. Of course, there's law that governs it, but it's about the human factor more than anything else. Yeah, it's those relationships that are that are, that are in the middle of all of this. And so, yes, the law is there, but the law is black and white. And these kind of relationships are are messy and live completely in the gray. It's exactly the thing. And the big concern as well, we've swung completely from a system quite long ago where it was matriarchal and the mother was the primary Mm. resident parent and the fathers were ancillary to a system of co-parenting and rights of both parents, responsibilities of both parents, and the voice of the child. And my concern is sometimes we go just a little bit too far, where Mm. we go, children are allowed to say, and both parents have equal rights. You know what? Every single case is circumstance appropriate. Mm. And that is the important thing. Look at how the parents have been involved. Look at where the children's allegiances lie. Look at how the children's lives can be least disrupted Mm. and see what can be done out of there. And if you get attorneys who are making fights where they don't need to be fights and not looking for that sort of solution, those are the attorneys who are not deeply experienced in family law matters. Those are litigation attorneys who who fight other things in court. Mm. Very seldom should we be needing to do that in family law cases. Mm. And and does the child have um, rights for for them to to say something like, you know, I, I want to live with mom, but I really want to be able to spend time with granny from daddy's side as well? Absolutely. Also enshrined. I think it would be in Section 7 of the Children's Act, but don't quote me on that. The children have a right to their extended families to know their cultures 
to know their backgrounds, to know their families. And that can be, especially, you know, in, in a society where we live, where we have so many different permutations of family, that can be anybody, aunties, uncles, family, friends, and also anybody who, in well, how am I, I'm putting this very clumsily, mm, yeah. but anybody where it serves a child's best interests could apply to court to have parental responsibilities and rights granted to them. So someone who says, I've always had contact with this child, this child's mm. come to me every weekend while the parents go off and work or do whatever. Now, because you're divorcing, you suddenly say, I'm the baddie and I can't visit this child. If they couldn't reach an agreement and the child's views and wishes weren't perhaps strong enough to to bring that party back on board, that party could go to court. I think it's in terms of Section 23 or 24. I think it's 23 for contact with the child Mm. and to have the parental responsibility and right of contact awarded to that party as well. It doesn't take it away from actual biological parents. Mm. It adds to the bundle of people who are involved in a positive way in that child's life. Oh, it's, I can, I can imagine, Carrie, that things must get very complicated when it comes to family. And, and, and in South Africa, we have a very, I mean, not in South Africa, but in general, in society nowadays, that, that, that term family is so broad. Um, we are seeing families being raised by grannies. We are seeing, you know, families that, that only have one biological parent and then the, the rest of the family in inverted commas is, is a little different to interpretation. You're so absolutely right. And the one wish that I have is if people in a kind of a, a splitting up of a family, it's not even necessarily it's a divorce. It's where People have been dating, but they've had a child and they want to break up. Or people have lived together and they have children from previous relationships who have now formed relationships with the new partners. And people are quite adults, are quite selfish. They go along and they go, I want out. Mm. Therefore, I don't want you anymore. Therefore, you must go. And once you have children, the day that a child is born to you or adopted by you, your world is not about you anymore. And that's where people need to start thinking, we've brought a child into this world. I cannot just go, I'm ditching you now, because there are other people involved. Mm. And although there's another phrase that a lot of family lawyers use, and it's very apposite, and that is that a bad spouse is not necessarily a bad parent. That's very powerful. And it is. It's very true because the things that have disappointed you, I also don't believe there is such a thing as a bad spouse or a bad parent. It would be a disappointing or disappointed spouse Mm. may not necessarily be an incompetent or less than perfect parent because the things they've done to betray an intimate relationship may not impact on how good they can be to their children and how much they love their children and what they can do for their children. If people could only be, I hesitate to say more mature because it sounds so judgmental and I don't know that I would be mature Mm. if I was in the situation. But if people could only think a little bit further and try not to be governed by their own emotions mm. and be a little bit slower to to say, I want, I want, I want, when they've actually brought children into this world. And I think also there's another thing that plays a big part in this, and that's pride. If you could park your pride when you're going through this, in you know, a lot of times there'd be a lot of disappointment in yourself that you couldn't make a relationship work, or you let your partner down, or they let you down. And there's a lot of 
pride and pride stands before the fall, as we all know. And, and that can stand in the way of us making clear cut decisions as well. Well, you know what people also do, and you are so, so right. I think you should come and get a job with me because you have a vibe for this. <laughs> what people also do is they say, I need to keep the children because that will show everybody that I wasn't yeah. the bad one. So I've won my children. You've lost the children. So society mm. will know that you were bad. And, you know, our divorce law since 1979 has been no fault based. So there is no such thing as the good guy and the bad guy. That's interesting. From a, from a human social sciences perspective, yes, there may or may not be. Mm. And usually there isn't a clear-cut goodie and a baddie. Yeah. You know, someone, there's always a symbiotic relationship that somebody has done something to somebody somewhere that caused something else. But using children as your kind of affirmation that I got the kids, therefore I can't be at fault, it's just completely it's misguided apart from being wrong yeah it, it that misguided it's come up in my brain a couple times as you've been speaking you want to do the right thing and 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 maybe that's when you were talking about being a bad parent sometimes it's not as you say there isn't such a thing as bad parenting and sometimes it's just misguided and i think oftentimes this kind of um process of going through a divorce which can be very messy but it also can be pretty straightforward and and I guess oftentimes that when both parties come in completely clear and say you know what we messed this up this relationship is no longer working let's try and do this in the most amicable way is that kind of the majority of this time or does it get messy majority of the time you are not yet there's a big punt for mediation and I am a strong proponent of mediation family law matters should be mediated Mm. Because also in mediation, what you're doing is you're encouraging the parents to talk. You're teaching them to talk no longer as disappointed spouses, but as co-parents. And you're teaching them to learn new ways to communicate. Whereas in litigation, you're pitted at each other. You are enemies. Mm. You're the plaintiff and you're the defendant and you are fighting in court. If they could lose that mindset and get into a, even if it's not, let's go and see one mediator. It would be, I've got my attorney who explains whatever needs to be explained to me. You've got your attorney who explains whatever needs to be explained to you. And let's talk, the four of us, about how we can get past these things in an amicable, sensible way. Otherwise, anyway, I mean, it's also another one of these tritisms, but it's true. Who gets rich from from bad acrimonious divorces? The attorneys do. Mm, Drags it out. Yeah, and there goes the children's college fund or whatever, whatever, Mm. on things that at the end, are going to be resolved, you know, even in in the very bitter, acrimonious ones, Mm. the result is so often so close to what it should have been on day one that the people just can't see it and they're not in the right space. And occasionally you will have misguided or uninformed or unspecialist attorneys who, who, you know, regrettably help them along that line. Mm. People should be, you know, they should listen to this conversation we're having Mm the minute before they decide what they want to do about their divorce process. Yes, very, very complicated. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, if people, I guess maybe if you're getting to your stage, hopefully you've gone through the mediation point and this is a point at which now you are involved and it's, it's, it's gone beyond the mediation. Um, but let's hope, that people, if they are thinking that it's now time to make the pot, it's now time to make the cut and get a divorce, that, that they, 
They take that pride, they take that emotion out and they do what's best for the children, what's best for themselves individually as well. Because if they're broken adults at the end of a divorce, the child is definitely going to get impacted as well. And you know what, even if there aren't children involved, if you're a broken, bitter adult at the end of the divorce, how long will it take you to recover and to move on and to have a happy life? You've got to let it go. It's so... It's, it's so, so hard. Powerful, I mean, I would yeah. be a broken, bitter adult if, if I caught my mm. dearly beloved with the postman or whatever. Yeah. I can't say that I would behave like I tell all my clients to behave. Yeah. But one can only try. You've got to set the bar. And something I want to say there is when you say if, if they get to me, they must be at the divorce stage. People will find that most experienced and reputable family law attorneys are mediators as well. Okay. And that's the important thing. Contact your attorney to say, can you help me with a mediatory? It doesn't have to be a mediation per se, mm. but a mediatory, facilitated, negotiated, conversational approach as opposed to the hectic, I am suing you and I want the yeah. toughest bulldog attorney I can ever find. You know, what is the point? I, I guess maybe we are basing things on the worst case scenarios because we don't often hear about people talking about, oh, my divorce was delightful. We only hear the bad stories. So maybe, mm. maybe our, our view of things is a little bit skewed. Um, but hopefully that most, when most people do go through a process that at the end of it, they can come out and be, I mean, it's probably very difficult, but that they come out better. That's all you I, know, if you can yeah. if you can remember what first brought you together, mm. I'm not saying you have to reconcile, but there, there's got to be some good. You had a child with this person. You wanted to spend your life with this person. Very seldom has the other person done something so hideous that you just completely rewind and obliterate all of that. And just, just to add a bit of positivity, I'm doing two mediations at the moment mm. where I say to the couples, I wish that I could somehow put you on a public platform because you are lovely. They are just lovely to each other. They are completely child-centric. They compromise without in any way, you know, doing themselves down. They are lovely examples of mediation. And, you know, obviously we can't put them on a public platform. Mm, Maybe one day one or two of them Mm. will write an article or Mm. do a talk show or something. But people must know that it is out there. It does happen. And I think it's also just, you know, it's human nature to bitch. You get ten happy things and one bad thing. Absolutely. So you bitch about the bad thing. You don't go around saying, oh, my life's so great and I'm so happy and I have such a wonderful divorce. So people should know that there, there are... Not wonderful divorces, but there are peaceful, amicable divorces Mm. where people don't come out bruised and battle-scarred and bankrupt, and they manage to co-parent their children very effectively, which is far better than staying in a toxic home. Yeah. That is, that is, that is a very important point there because a lot of people will say, I'm going to stay in a, in an unhealthy relationship for the children. Let me tell you, those children are going to come out as damaged as somebody who had a very messy divorce. So it, the best thing is to do is to go through it amicably as an adult, as a mature two parties who at some point liked each other enough to get married. So at some point you were friends. So maybe try and remember that as Sherry was, Kerry was saying, go back to that point at which you did like the person and try and remember that. But Kerry, just before we wrap up, those two couples that you were talking about, did they have children? Yes. Yes. So they've gone through the whole process. Amazing. And the other have a young child. 
and they are just extremely child-centric. And they've got to the point where they are able to speak to each other with respect. It doesn't always happen. You know, some mm. of the mediation sessions are tearful or angry. Yeah. But that's the beauty of having a mediator where you can defuse it and you can just, you know, everybody takes a bit of a breath and blows their nose or has a cup of tea and mm. comes back to what they ultimately... You know, the other thing is we were a very... I don't know what the word is, disposable society. We want everything and we want it now and we want it to be easy. Mm. Nobody said this is going to be easy. Yeah. So put put into it what you want to put into the upbringing of your children and you will get out of it a, a decent process that helps you to still properly bring your children up. If you want to just walk away and neglect your children, yeah, then you'll you'll get what you deserve. But if people are prepared to put the time and the effort in mm. and put themselves, their pride and their emotions and their hurt aside. I'm not saying, as I said, it's not rose-tinted glasses, but yeah. these people are mature and have looked beyond their hurt. It's very, very hard for them. Yeah. These two particular couples, there are a lot of tears shed. Very hard for them. But they've done it and they just deserve so much praise. There you go. Kerry von Ludwig, who is a family law attorney who's seen both ends of the spectrum, is leaving us with some positivity this morning. Kerry, thank you so much for your time and, and for giving us such a nice, well-rounded view on what can most, a lot of times be such a messy and emotional uh, thing for a family to go through. Well, thanks for the opportunity to share those views. I hope it has helped somebody. I thought the conversation was exceptionally enlightening. Somebody, I've never gone through divorce. I'm not married. My parents are still together. I've never had to go through that. So to talk to somebody um, and get an idea of what it looks like from the outside, what it looks like from the inside, and most importantly, what it looks like from that child's point of view and what should be taken into consideration when you are going through divorce and keeping in mind your child and the, their mental health and the stability of that child. I thought the conversation was really enlightening. And thank you, Kerry. Kevin Ludwig, who is a family law attorney.